Hello and welcome to the Football Overview. And today we've got a special episode for you guys, The Big Debate, where me, Johan and Luke discuss our best World 11s to have played since the start of Messi and Ronaldo's dominance of the Ballon d'Or, winning all but one since 2008. Of course, this is the Football Overview, so we'll look back on the most recent football week, including the Champions League semi-finals, Mourinho's surprise move to Roma, the end of the show quiz, and more later on in this episode. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the big debate. This is the one that I've really been waiting for. The big debate, your World 11s to have played since Messi and Ronaldo's dominance of the Ballon d'Or since winning all but one since 2008. So, Johan, let's start with your goalkeeper and then any defenders, whether you've gone with a back three or a back four. In goals, I've gone for Manuel Neuer. I think he is, the, on his day, he is the complete goalkeeper. I mean, there is not an aspect to his game, distribution-wise, shot, save, conversion... I mean, he is, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper that has been around really for the last 30 years. Perhaps you could argue that. So I've got Neuer in goal. Now, this is going to be something that's going to be highly contested. I've got Van Dijk, centre-back. Oh, you and, absolute. Well, I, <laughs> He's only been around for two years. Do you know what? I, I, so alongside Van Dijk, I've gone for John Terry. Right back, I've gone Philip Lahm. The last 10 years, obviously, when he was at his prime. I didn't really see a bad game. There wasn't really an amateur performance produced by him, whether it was international or at Bayern. So I've gone Philip Lahm right back. And left back, I think this can't be contested because for me, he is the best left back I've ever seen and perhaps even more broadly the best there's ever been potentially. I've gone for Ashley Cole. Formidable left back. I think even as Ronaldo said, he was the toughest player he came against by a long shot. So that's pretty explanatory of why he's there. So you've gone for Neuer, Lahm... Terry Van Dyke and Ashley Cole. So, Luke, you mentioned Van Dyke, the fact he's only been around really for two years, and that's why I went for Vincent Company over Van Dyke, just due to that longevity of Company. I think he joined Manchester City back in 2010 under Mark Hughes, didn't he? He actually started out as a midfielder, in fact, but then Mark Hughes saw him as a centre back. When you think of a leader, you just think of Vincent Company, don't you? As much as I agree with that, what you're saying, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, out of the two at their best, it is indisputable you would opt for Van Dyke, though. Just so I Yeah, I think at, at his best, I think you go in Van Dyke. But just due to the fact he's only really done it, hasn't he, since he moved to Liverpool back at the start of 2018. You're talking three years. Also, he's been injured since October. He was really poor at the start of this season as well. So he really only did it for two years. So that's why I went for Vincent Kempany. And the thing that really impressed me about Kempany as well was when Guardiola came in, he showed that he could play as well. And he showed those midfield instincts that he developed when he was younger, playing for Hamburg. And he went back into centre-back, showed he could do it with his feet just as well with the rest of the defensive characteristics that you need. So the rest of my back four, I've gone for Neuer in goal. I've agreed with Yos with that. I agreed with him with Lahm and Ashley Cole. However, I've gone for Thiago Silva as the other centre-back. Oh, come on. And for me, Thiago Silva... For me, Thiago Silva is an absolutely outstanding centre-back. He can read the game so well. Obviously, going back five, six years ago as well, he had 
pretty good legs as well. He's never been the quickest, but he was a little bit quicker then. He's obviously lost his legs a little bit, but just the quality that he has in terms of reading the game, for me, he has to be in that back four. Luke, who did you go for? I toyed with Casillas. I very strongly considered um, Czech. I'm a little bit disappointed neither of you went for Joe Hart, but I've ended up with the same as you. I've ended up with Manuel Neuer. Uh, don't worry, Johan. I, I, I wasn't really considering Joe Hart. <laughs> I, I figured that one out. Don't worry. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised, though, would you? Um, I've gone for a classic formation as well. It's a, it's a traditional 3-3-3-1, which many teams play these days uh, in Europe. Um, I've gone for Lam, which is a little bit boring, a little bit mainstream, but how can you not have him? He's just absolutely the complete defender, the complete captain, the complete professional and the complete tradesman. He was just sensational, wasn't he, for, for a decade and a half or whatever. Uh, he could play left back, right back, defensive mid under Pep, just brilliant. At centre-back, this is really, really hard. I've chosen the sort of mainstream ugh, option. I've chosen Sergio Ramos as my one and only centre-back here in my strange back three. <sighs> I, I hear you sighing and I, I understand it. My heart says company. I had company written down before because I just thought, who would I prefer in my team? He's less reckless. He's more of a communicator. I absolutely love Vincent Company. I also love John Terry, but I'd already sacrificed him when I made this strange uh, made-up back three. So Terry's unlucky. I even thought about Vidic for a bit because he was fantastic as well for mm. many years. Um, Van Dijk, I'm, I'm, I'm being critical. He flashed up in my mind, but he just hasn't done it for as long, so I felt like I couldn't. But you're asking me, in his yeah. prime, is he better than Ramos? I think, yeah, yeah, because if he was in that Real Madrid team, he would have won all those trophies for sure, and maybe then some. You know, he's a monster, so fair enough. So I've got Lam, Ramos, and then, and I think you're going to cite this as well, I've gone Danny Alves. Danny Alves in a back oh, three? Oh, no. Well, it doesn't, it's a fantasy Danny team, Alves. Dylan. It doesn't, right, for, firstly, let's not worry about the three, let's not worry about the three, 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 one, because I'm not playing anyone. I'm not playing Bournemouth in a friendly. Okay. This is a fantasy on paper. So let's just stick Lewandowski, Suarez, Neymar, Ronaldo, Messi thing. all together yeah. in well, the no, same team he, then. He's a defender. I'm not playing, I'm not playing Xavi up front. He is a defender. <laughs> So he's going to play in my defence. Oh, it's on paper. It's a world eleven. It doesn't matter. Um, so you know, four four two. I don't know. Uh, you know, some of these players might not be the best. But I, but Alves is in there. I could have gone for Marcelo. I could have gone for Ashley Cole. I could have gone for I don't know. Wait, you did go Ashley Cole? Well, of course I have because it's a back three and Alves plays great on the left oh, side oh, of a back three. Well, hang on, if you put it that way. But you've got to have Ashley Cole. Well, I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen a bad performance produced by Ashley Cole. It's international Dylan, club. Dylan, you didn't have Ashley Cole, did you? Vi no, I did have Ashley Cole left. No, you put him in. Yeah. So, Luke, how come you didn't go for Ashley Cole? Yoan mentioned earlier that Cristiano Ronaldo named him as the toughest opponent he'd ever faced. And Ronaldo's played all the top defenders. And for me, there's no argument that Ashley Cole is the best left back since 2008. Since the 2000s. Do you know what I mean? This generation of footballer, Ashley Cole, undoubtedly the best left back. So why is he not in your team? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because Ashley Cole is a fantastic left back in a back four. Danny Alves is a brilliant left sided centre back in a back three. <laughs> That's why. Um, Wait, brilliant? 
Of course Alves can't play left-sided centre-back in a back three, but I've decided there's my three best defenders. Alves was not the best going backwards, but he was fantastic going forward. He's the most decorated player ever, so I'm going to give him a little bit of a credit for that as well. Ashley Cole also played in some great teams, so you can't just throw it at me that I'm throwing trophies out there. I, I, You've you got to agree, it's not a ridiculous decision. No, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I mean, you deserve all the laments you're going to receive in the next 20 When you seconds. hear my front four later, you'll understand why I've had to sacrifice big time. Okay, so we'll move on now to the midfielders. And Yos, who have you got in your midfield? Honestly, I'm so preoccupied with my thoughts on what Luke's gone now for his midfield based <sighs> on that disregarding of defence. I mean, I don't know what to say to that. But anyway, so I've gone for CDM. I've gone for Shabby Alonso. Again, I can understand the argument not to have him because he wasn't the most brilliant defensive player there was, but he was highly disciplined. I thought he had some decent leadership qualities and his passing at times was in parallel to anyone on the planet, I thought, especially in the 2000s. So I've gone Alonso in that CDM and above him, I've gone for Kevin De Bruyne along with Iniesta. And I know, Dill, I told you before this, I wasn't going to put Iniesta in, but on re-evaluation, I've gone for Iniesta instead of Neymar in that. And for me, again... What can you really say? I mean, Iniesta, for me, is amongst the best midfielders to ever play the game, as well as Kevin De Bruyne. I think Kevin De Bruyne is better because of his versatility. The fact he could obviously drop deep and take effect there, and it's just a lot more dynamic. So I've gone for those two in, yeah, that is my midfield three. Luke, who did you go for in your midfield three? In this crazy 3-3-3-1 formation that I've never heard of before, but it's suddenly going to work. <laughs> the midfield three is normal. It's a standard, so there's nothing crazy about this. I agreed on Iniesta. I think everything he's done for club and country, he's an absolute class act. You've left out Kevin, haven't you? Yeah, there was a bit of a debate at the time about Iniesta and Xavi. Who was better? Oh, let's just enjoy them both. I didn't want to have them both. I didn't want to have them both. But so I had gone for Iniesta because I thought he was just a slightly more dynamic of the two. And he was, I felt, more important in the end than Xavi was. I've got Iniesta in there. I've got Luka Modric in there, a Ballon d'Or winner himself. I think we'll all agree he's a class act. I hear Johan's point. I think De Bruyne is a better player now than I think Modric has maybe ever been. But Modric has done it for about eight or nine years after being voted the worst flop of the season when he joined Real Madrid. And what a recovery it's been since. He's won every trophy under the planet with them. He's been a class act. He's more dynamic than Cruz in possession, but not as good as De Bruyne. I feel he deserves to be in there. So I've gone Iniesta, Modric, and then, oh my God, I was having a meltdown. I've gone through I've gone through Xavi. I've gone through De Bruyne. I've gone through um, Schweinsteiger. I've gone through Thiago. I've gone <laughs> through Cruz. Schweinsteiger. You I, I've considering gone through him. Lampard. I've gone through Gerard. I've gone through Perlo. I've gone through everyone. And I've ended with finally some defensive stability that you're going to tell me <laughs> off if I don't have. And I've okay. gone for a little bit controversially... Sergio Busquets. <laughs> Sergio Busquets. Oh. Well, come on. Honestly, I we're mean... going to have to reevaluate. I don't think we should invite this kid on anymore. I mean, it's getting to a stage <laughs> where the intellect is diminishing by the minute, honestly. 
Well, listen, he's been a class act for a number of years. He's been extremely important to that Barcelona side. You're thinking about the here and now. He was also a major, major part of their success for so many years. His legs have gone now. He's not dynamic enough. He's not quick enough. He's not athletic enough. But at the same time, where was De Bruyne in 2008? He was about 15 years old. I'll put it to you this way. Is it an understatement that Busquets is just a bit of a, a sexier Jorginho? In looks, yeah, absolutely. That's it. There's not much difference, isn't it? He's an elegant Jorginho. But then you could just say that Modric is uh, a slow Kevin De Bruyne. And we all agree that he probably deserves to be in there. Luke, you mentioned about Sergio Busquets and the lack of mobility he's now got. You know, yeah. There's no doubting that he's lost a little bit of legs. There's also no doubting how integral he was to that Barcelona side under Guardiola. I remember watching some games and the way they dealt with Barcelona was by almost man-marking Busquets because he was the one who fed the ball to Iniesta and Xavi who obviously then would feed the ball to the front three who at the time were Messi, Pedro and David Villa. However, my argument with not putting Sergio Busquets in my team is we, we touched on the lack of legs. He's never had great legs. So when he loses possession, and they always used to say, didn't they, against Barcelona, you can hurt them on the counter-attack. And that was because of Sergio Busquets, mainly his lack of mobility. They were just so much better Barcelona than everybody else at the time. If Busquets was playing in any other side, I don't think you could get away with it. And I think that's showing now with Barcelona that you can't get away with Busquets because of that lack of mobility, lack of defensive awareness, lack, he's not the best tackler either. I do understand that, but for, for every crazy loss that they have, there was nine games out of ten which they controlled partly because of him and because of his role, which you've just touched on. I'm not going to argue and say he is one of the best... He is of the best. I know this is a world best 11, but you're also kind of telling me off for not having a, a normal back four. So... I had other players in there and I've put him in there to balance this side a bit more in real life. I could have gone crazy and I could have put De Bruyne in or I could have put Perlo in, but then I'm going to be I'm going to be madly overrun, aren't I, in this friendly against Bournemouth in the summer. <laughs> I was debating in the defensive midfield position between the likes of well, again, if this was down to the last few years, I think you're looking at Fabinho. I think he's been brilliant the last few years. Fernandinho He's another one at Manchester City who's performed the role brilliantly under Guardiola at City. Good shout, actually. Um, however, I've gone for Chabi Alonso. Mr. Reliable, defensive midfielder, fantastic in possession of the ball. He was actually really good at reading the game, wasn't he? Even going back to his days at Liverpool, whenever he and Gerrard played in the same team, he'd almost sit, allow Gerrard to push forward. And Johan mentioned that he's not the best defensively. I think that's a little bit harsh. I don't think he was bad defensively. He wasn't the best, though. He had his flaws. And if you're playing just that one sitting CDM, and you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be far more susceptible to attacks, given if they were to play counter-attacking. So that's my only issue with him, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, but for me, the fact he could read the game so well, it almost combated... You know, he, he hasn't got the best mobility, but it's better... Well, it's a lot better, isn't it, than the likes of Busquets that we've mentioned earlier. The likes of Pilo when he played that role for Juve. 
But for me, Chabi Alonso, I remember that Real Madrid side under Ancelotti in 2014. He was so integral to that Madrid side. And they played Di Maria as a left centre midfielder. They played Modric just in front as well. And for me, just because of the longevity, I would say Fabinho is a better defensive midfielder than him. However, just the longevity of his performances, Chabi Alonso for me was in defensive midfield. And then my two centre midfielders just in front in my midfield three, I've gone Iniesta. I just don't think there's any debate in that. I think we've all gone for Iniesta in those teams. Absolutely brilliant player. And the other one, Kevin De Bruyne, my favourite player, in fact, at the moment. I honestly love what, watching Messi? Kevin De Bruyne play. No, no, I'm saying that right at the moment, the, the way he oh, plays. No, oh, yeah. and I touched on last week, wasn't it, about Neymar and, and Mbappe and the work rate they give. Well, look at the work rate Kevin De Bruyne gives to that Manchester City oh. side. He's not a star, is he? He puts in the hard work. He puts in the hard yards. Whether he's playing false nine, whether he's playing on the wing, where he's playing centre midfield, where he's playing attacking mid, you can almost position him anywhere across that midfield. And for me, the past four or five years, he's been the best midfielder in Europe. And he's gone just another level, hasn't he? Since Guardiola Have you guys ever seen him live? City. I've seen him live against Cardiff, I think, uh, when they played really? him at the FA Cup. Oh, of course, um, yeah. I think, Was it I think we might even have seen him live... When he in his first spell at Chelsea, was actually. Are you sure about that? Are you about the 2013-14 season with Cardiff? Yeah, because I remember Mo Salah played for Chelsea at the time as well. I'm not sure if mm. Kevin De Bruyne played as well, but he went away, didn't he, from Chelsea to Wolfsburg? Took him a year to settle at Wolfsburg. Maybe not quite a year, but six months at least. But in his final year at Wolfsburg, he just completely lit up the league and became the Bundesliga Player of the Year. Took him a little bit of time to settle down into Pellegrini, but as I said, since Guardiola came in, best midfielder in Europe for me, undoubtedly. But now, guys, to your front threes, to your front fours. This is where it gets very interesting indeed. So, Yoan, who did you go for in your forward line? For my front three, I think it's going to be very difficult for anyone to dissent this in any way, in my opinion. I just don't see how you can replace one of these players so on the right, I've gone obviously Lionel Messi. I mean, I could give a good speech for another three minutes, but there's no need. We're talking about arguably the most famous footballer or maybe even sportsman in the world. And his accolades, I think, is pretty much self-explanatory. On the left, I've gone for Ronaldo. And up top, I've gone Luis Suarez. Because what we saw, that form that he underwent in that 2013-14 season, we could obviously highly acclaim Ronaldo for what he did that year. But for me, Luis Suarez was the best player in the world that year. What he did to that Liverpool squad, a somewhat predominantly mediocre team, if you were to exclude him, I would argue. And he didn't just revitalise that squad. He turned them into arguably the best team in the country. They, they didn't fear anybody. And his ability was unparalleled. He could score all types of goals. And for me just based on his just general ability, I think I can safely proclaim he's probably the most naturally talented striker or that we've probably had maybe for the last 30, 40 years. I, I don't think there's anyone on par when he's at his best. So that is my front three, Dill. Yeah, Luis Suarez, fantastic striker, wasn't he? Especially in his prime. That final season at Liverpool almost led them, by example, didn't he, to the title alongside Daniel Sturridge up front. Just... He was just a complete boost to that whole Liverpool squad, wasn't he? Just got them playing to a complete few levels above that those players were at before they joined Liverpool or were at prior to Suarez 
hitting that type of form in that final year. But just before we get onto Luke's fantastic four that he was mentioning earlier, I've gone for Messi as a false nine. So I know Johan had him on the right, but for me, when Messi was at his real best for Barcelona under Guardiola, he was playing in that false nine position, wasn't he? Obviously, he started off with Eto'o on the right, Thierry Henry on the left during the 2008-2009 to Champions League success. And then obviously 2011 then, Guardiola had a few years to settle down and really put his ideas forward to that team. Messi again as the false nine with Pedro on the right, wasn't it? And David Villa on the left. And as I said, if you want to get the best out of Messi, you've got to play in false nine with pace from those wide positions. And that's why I've gone for Ronaldo on the left. When you think back to his days at Madrid, obviously now he's become more of a central centre-forward or second striker playing off another striker. But when he was at his real best at Real Madrid, he was on the left, wasn't he? Cutting in onto that right foot, as I was mentioning before. Basically, I like to have wingers who cut in on their stronger foot. So that's why I've gone for Ronaldo on the left. And on the right, I was trying to think of somebody who's left-footed, who was brilliant for a long time in that position. And somebody who came to my mind, first of all, was Gareth Bale. However, obviously, we're talking longevity here, aren't we? And obviously, he was brilliant in that last season at Tottenham for his first few years at Madrid, but just didn't have that longevity. So I've gone for Ian Robben on the right. And for me, Robben at Bayern Munich, especially under Guardiola, was absolutely brilliant. Everybody knew what he was going to do. He was going to cut in on that left foot, but you couldn't stop it. It was just absolutely sensational, fantastic finishing. And as I said, to get the best out of Messi and Ronaldo, for me, you needed somebody like a Robin, who's just so direct, isn't he? And imagine Robin and Ronaldo making those diagonal runs with Messi just dropping off the front. It'd be absolutely brilliant to watch. Knowing the fact that he is so one-dimensional, I think we can all agree on that, Everyone, even in the football community, the fact that he's so dependent on that left foot. With the element of retrospect, do you not kind of judge those de- defenders, those defences, to not preempt that? That's a great question. The fact that he would take effect against all teams. For me, it's not the fact he's an overstated player, but it does make me judge teams coming against him for how they can nullify that aspect of his game. Because it's the only aspect, really, that is of high status. But he came up against all the best defenders in the world and they couldn't stop him. And you say that he couldn't do both in terms of he was always cutting in on his left but when a defender almost basically if you gave him a little bit of space to go in on his left he would just take it he would just exploit it regardless but then if you overcompensated and positioned yourself too far centrally he just run on the right so he would constantly go on the left constantly go on the left defender would go okay I'm going to deal with this I'm going to position myself completely inside so he can't get on that left foot he's got no chance Robin just goes well, thank you very much. I'll just go in on my right and I'll just put a cross in. Speaking of on effectiveness, given the limitations, I just identified them with Robin, at their best, at their optimal best, you would obviously opt for a player like Gareth Bale, knowing how versatile he was. You know, he can come deep. I'm pretty sure he was a lot more ambidextrous than the likes of Robin. Generally, I just think he had a lot more to his game and I think he'd pose a bigger threat to more teams, I think. Robin was a bit of a retro player, isn't he? He was a bit of an old-fashioned yeah. player, and not just because he looks older than everybody else. Yeah. Um, he was a bit of a retro player because I feel like he wouldn't fit now in modern football. He wouldn't be able to fit into any side, any of the best sides in Europe because 
he isn't as versatile. He can't go on both feet. His movement isn't as good. He sort of had one trick and was absolutely amazing at it. Um, like in that season with Spurs, with Gareth Bale just hitting those screamers every week. He probably couldn't, he definitely couldn't fit into Man City, into Liverpool. Sorry, Luke, you say that he couldn't fit into Guardiola's Manchester City. But when Guardiola named his best 11 that he's ever managed, Iron Robin was in there alongside Messi and Sterling. So, I, you say he's a one Yeah, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't be dropped for last night's game, for example, if he was in the squad. You talk about players who can only cut in on their left foot. They had Riyad Mahrez on the right. That's what he mostly does, isn't it? You think of Mahrez's game, cutting on his left foot. However, yeah. at times, he does go on to the right, and that's what Robin did. Yeah, but Robin doesn't have the work rate. I'm not really sure about that. I think that's a bit that's a bit unfair. I don't really think that's just to say he didn't have the work rate. For me, from what I recall, you know, when he was at his prime, he was everywhere. He was electric, very highly intense. For me, the biggest question, as I said earlier, was he at that high calibre of a player like Gareth Bale at his best? I don't think he really... Yeah, but Gareth Bale, yo's only did it for a few years. And as I said, if yeah. you're talking a few years, Bale would be in there. But because of the longevity of his career... And honestly, guys, if you watch Iron Robin back playing under Guardiola in the positional play, basically, Guardiola's philosophy, isn't it? He draws players into a certain space to basically create 1v1s in other positions. And his whole system at Bayern Munich was almost about giving Robin the ball 1v1 against the fullback because he knew he'd beat him. And he knew he'd get that ball most of the time on his left foot and score. And then, as I said, if the defender compensated for that he would just go in off the right and cross balls to Lewandowski so I think it's quite harsh you know some of the criticism we're giving to Robin here but Luke who is in your four to accommodate that crazy back three that you mentioned earlier it's like 1950s retro tactics yeah I'm so pleased you've given honourable mentions to Bale I'm going to give honourable mentions as well to the likes of Muller, Di Maria, Lewandowski, Robin, Ribery, Griezmann, Hazard etc etc who haven't made it. My front four is Ronaldo okay. on the left, Messi in the hull, Neymar on the right. Interesting. And I'm allowed to have him because he might not have done it for 10 years. He might not have won all the trophies his talent probably deserves, but he's been in all the World 11s since the Santos days and I've, I've checked and he has been in the Ballon d'Or you know, World 11s since he was at Santos, which is pretty amazing. And for the same reason, Johan has Van Dijk because it's sort of ability rather than how long he's done it for or the trophies he's won. I think that is why I've got Neymar in there because, you know, on paper, all those skills, all the talent, I think he has to be in there. And the whole reason I've done this front four is to accommodate the main man up top Luis Suarez. Yeah. My thunder has already been taken. I had a big sort of love affair speech to say about him, and it's re it's been done and dusted already, and I couldn't agree more. He is or was the ultimate striker. He had a bit of everything. When you imagine yourself, I, I'm rubbish at playing football, but if you imagine what it would be like to play football, who wouldn't want to have the talents that Luis Suarez had? If you look at so many good players, if you look at the ball skills of Harry Kane and the intelligence... You always think, oh, well, I only wish he could really, really run around the pitch at 60 miles an hour. Well, Suarez had all that and the pace. If you look at other players with pace, you think, oh, yeah, they're really, really good. They're really, really fast. But I just wish they had sort of 
the emotional uh, sort of intelligence in play to, to create clever things, create clever movements. He just had absolutely everything. He was quick. He was dynamic. He had the aggression of Diego Costa, but he had the intelligence and the speed. Wow, what an unbelievable player. At Liverpool, at Barca, even at Ajax before, we didn't know so much about him, but we knew he was coming. Wow, what a player. So that front four is Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, Suarez, and I dare anyone to defend against that. Thing is, if we're talking about an out-and-out striker, I would agree Luis Suarez is the best all-round striker we've had for the past 10 years. I know Lewandowski's a better goal scorer than Suarez, but all-round... Luis Suarez had it all, and you've mentioned that there, Luke. But the reason I didn't have him in my team was just solely down to the fact, honestly, if you watch Messi at his prime under Guardiola in that false nine position, he's just got to be in that position for me. And I know, Luke, you've gone with Messi in behind Luis Suarez, but in the real world, it wouldn't work, would it, that 3-3-3-1 formation. So, Luke, if you had to drop one of those front four to accommodate an extra defender, which you would have to do, let's be honest, if you were playing a, well, any team of any decent standing, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you drop out of that front four? I would drop Neymar because he's got all the talent, but he hasn't had the career. For me, Neymar, well, we actually touched on him a few weeks ago when Jack was on and we talked about what is Neymar lacking to really take him to that next level. And we discussed maybe his attitude was lacking a little bit. But we sort of came to the conclusion in the end that it was just down to that goal-scoring touch, that goal-scoring prowess in those key games at the key moments that does let down Neymar at times, doesn't it, guys? To reflect now on the events of the past week, I'm joined by Johan Aslett. Thanks for having me on, Dil. And I'm joined by Cardiff City fan, Kieran LeBreton. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, yeah, great to have you on. So, in terms of the World Eleven debate, Key, if you had to choose one team out of mine, Johan's or Luke's World Eleven, who would you go with? I think the th- three great teams, I like them all. As much as I would have liked to choose Luke's and Yoans, I'm going to have to go for Dylan's. If you had to say the, the biggest difference between mine and Dylan's specifically, be in mind, obviously, you've opted for his. What is it then? So it was, it's the Van Dyke, really. I think John Terry's a great, great one, and he wasn't initially one that comes straight to my head. Like Ramos, Silva, Company, those were the ones that come to my head. Terry was one that I missed out, which I think he is a deserving player of it. Just Van Dyke, his ability-wise now is good, just not since 2008. Yeah, to be honest, with the value of hindsight, I probably would have replaced Van Dyke with the likes of company. I think it's probably a better befitting, you know, if we're going to answer the question. Yeah, because even though Van Dyke, the standard he's been playing at has been higher than arguably any centre-back, it's just the fact he's obviously struggled with injuries since October, really, hasn't he? And he's only really hit this form at Liverpool since when he first moved to Liverpool, wasn't it? Back in January 2018. So we're only talking a little over two years, aren't we? But, Keith, who would be in your World Eleven? I agree with you guys, Neuer. I had Lam right back. I had Silva and Ramos in the middle. You guys had Cole. Do you know what? I kind of forgot about Cole. Yeah. Um, so I went with Marcelo. The middle three, I went 
Modric, Alonso and Iniesta. And in the front three, Messi, Suarez and Ronaldo. You went with the same front three there as Yo's. So to get the real best out of Messi, I wanted two wingers with great pace to really run in behind the opposition defence, create the space in the pocket for Messi. But I think you're right. If we are talking about the best striker, out-and-out striker over the past 10 years, since 2008, you are probably talking Luis Suarez. In terms of the midfield three key, how come you didn't put Kevin De Bruyne in there? Because he's probably been the best midfielder, hasn't he, in Europe for the past, at least the past three or four years. And he's certainly the best midfielder at the moment by far. I just felt Modric was too good to leave out and Iniesta's class and and Alonso's class, I just felt it's a tough one. He's very hard to impress because excluding Kevin De Bruyne, knowing just how instrumental he's been, completely changed that Manchester City team. I don't know, I was not expecting that. I just find that so striking. What about Neymar? Do you think Neymar deserves a place? Don't bring his name up. After last uh, game's display, I wouldn't go near him with a 100-foot pole, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, it was a disgraceful performance. He is a good player, but I think the top 11, you get one person to pick to, to be a right or left winger. I, think, I don't think doesn't he quite cuts it, does he? He's like one of those players, when the circumstances are completely in his favour and he's composed, he feels comfortable, he's good. But the thing is, when it's not, he's not exactly the most resilient like, you took a look at that game against Man City, he was frustrated, and he just allowed those emotions to get the better of him. And it really impacted PSG's game, didn't it? So I don't even think, really, he's amongst the best, purely for that reason. Got nothing to do with his technical ability. Most games you see him, I wouldn't really doubt his decision-making too much. Obviously, there's sometimes you watch him, you think, OK, you could have done that a bit different. But against Manchester City, it was just a constant, wasn't it, Neymar? Just constant yeah. poor decision-making... If you actually take away consistency and literally just go with the logic of at their best, optimal form, would he get in your starting World Exile? Yeah, he might get in there ahead of Robin if you're talking about who's at their real prime. As I said, you'd have Bale in there over Robin if you're looking at maybe a year or two spell. But as I said, because it was since 2008, we're looking over a longer period. If you were to look at Robin's performances over that period he was better than Neymar and Bale so that's why I went for Robin in my front three as that wide player. We didn't touch on it during the debate but why Yos were you so against Thiago Silva being in my world 11? Kieran's chosen Thiago Silva in his world 11 as well. He's been absolutely sublime but again if you're asking the question best team since 2008 I just think they're far more superior nominees personally I think John Terry was one of the most complete defenders I've ever seen grit on both feet and generally I just think his defensive ability was just unparalleled so I just thought he was the better befitting personally the only thing I'd say with John Terry is that the sides he played well in like the Mourinho side wasn't it they sat deep in a compact block he wasn't expected to play out was he like the centre-backs now wasn't exploited too much so that's why yeah. I went for somebody like Thiago Silva and company I'd agree with you in terms of if you're going to make the point saying he's far more mobile than John Terry, I think that's absolutely valid. But to say that he can't pass out the back, I mean, do you remember those diagonal 70-yard passes he'd do in beyond the defence? I mean, come on. I think he's very much underappreciated for that specific aspect to his game, if you were to ask me. 
if you were Chelsea now under Tuchel Yews, trying to play the way Chelsea do with the back three, they look to pass out. Sometimes they look to press a little bit higher as well. Who would you have in your side for the Champions League final against Manchester City? Thiago Silva or John Terry? Well, it becomes very hard to be consistent when you put it like that. <laughs> uh, well, again, you're going to have... Uh, yeah, I think in the back three, you would have to go um, Thiago Silva. And if you're going to play with Tuchel's system in place, obviously it befits Silva far more than it would do with John Terry. But then saying that, you could obviously have it another way. If Thiago Silva would be playing in the back four, which I think is a lot more problematic for a defender because you have to cover more distance, John Terry's a more appropriate selection. So... I'm not sure about that, Yos. Thiago really? Silva's played back four for most of his career brilliantly for oh, PSG, Brazil, not to AC the same, Milan. Oh, Dale, come on. Not to the same. John Terry, he was impenetrable at his best. You couldn't get near him, honestly. Yo, just for to me, test it, um, so obviously most goal kicks have been passed out from the back now, aren't they? Pretty much. When John Terry was playing, were goal kicks being passed out from the back? I'm not denying the obvious fact that football's evolved very much since 2008. But for me, I still think that he very much could have evolved his game, to be honest with you, because everyone else had to. This has really been something that's taken effect the last three years, and I think he's more than capable. So for me, I don't think that has too much merit, because I think he was absolutely sublime at his best. And I'm not going to go back. I understand what Dylan mentions, obviously. In Tuchel's system, I think Thiago Silva probably would be the best selection, though. We'll never know for sure, will we, whether John Terry could play the way that football's evolved recently? Because obviously, John Terry, he left Chelsea, didn't he, back in 2015, before Chelsea really looked to play this passing out of the back style that they've used recently under the likes of Sari, Lampard and Tuchel. But we'll move on now, guys, to your moments of the week. And Yos, what was your... Moment of the week from the past footballing week. So I selected Chelsea's triumph over Real Madrid in the semi-finals. I mean, from a Chelsea standpoint, it was an excruciating watch. I mean, even though we dominated the game for pretty much throughout the game, it still remained unpredictable until we obviously saw off the game with a second goal from Mount in the 85th minute. And now knowing we're in the final, I just really can't wait. It's going to be some spectacle being an all-English final. And Kieran, what was your moment of the week? I went for something completely different, so I could have easily gone for a Champions League match, but I decided to go for a League 2 game between Harrogate Town and Cambridge United. This was a nine-goal thriller, 5-4 to Harrogate Town. I just thought, nine goals, you don't see it often. I thought you were a championship fanatic. Unfortunately, there was no thrillers in the championship. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, that's something a bit different. We haven't really discussed much of the Championship, League 1 or League 2 on this podcast so far. And uh, we're not going to start today because we're going to jump straight into (laughs) the Champions League semi-final between Chelsea and Real Madrid. Of course, Chelsea won the match by two goals to nil. And Tuchel getting to the Champions League final means that he is the first coach to lead two different sides to two successive Champions League finals and in his post-match comments Tuchel said that this is really huge big credit to this team this was an energetic performance full of positive attitude and hunger so Yos were these attributes displayed by Chelsea the key difference between themselves and Madrid over the two legs yeah 
uh, I think that's pretty much spot on. I don't really think you could have had two more dissimilar teams, really, in the way they approach the game, in terms of their attitude, their discipline. You take a look at the work ethic from the likes of Kante, constantly covering as much distance as possible, seeking to intercept the ball, and the passing developments taking place amongst Cruz and Modric, forcing the ball out wide at every opportunity. And obviously you saw Mount dropping deep, doing his defensive battle there. And another very key difference was the tactical approach from Tuchel, who's obviously now discovered a system that introduces great defensive stability, but also a real good viable in-possession philosophy. And that was very much the contrary, as we saw with Madrid, who just looked very much lost and just completely you know, disregarding of their defence at times. You mentioned there about Tuchel finding a philosophy with the ball as well as without it. And we discussed a little bit about the front threes for Chelsea and who we would play in this Real Madrid second leg. And Tuchel, of course, went with the same front three that I suggested last week, playing Havertz as a false nine at times, sometimes in off the right. Werner was up front as well, wasn't he? Those two, Werner and Havertz, were most of the time as the two strikers. Mount then was positioned a little bit deeper on the left, sometimes as a centre midfielder, sometimes pushed forward to be a part of that front three. Last week, I asked Luke whether all the missed chances from the first leg would come back to haunt them. Despite missing so many chances again, but still going through, do you think, Yos, that Chelsea will win the Champions League? Well, that is the question everyone wants to answer. Um, again, as a Chelsea fan, I have to be optimistic. I have to be positive. Again, I think our main best attributes, obviously, are our defensive qualities. We're so stable. We don't concede any goals. 18 clean sheets in 24 games. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Something that never would have happened, obviously, if we kept the likes of Frank Lampard. We prolonged, obviously, his stay at the club. If we are to win, we're going to have to score a lot more goals because it's inevitable. Man City are going to most probably get at least two goals in the final, in my opinion. It's going to be difficult. You say that you think Man City will get two goals, but with 18 clean sheets in 24, they didn't concede a goal in the 1-0 win, wasn't it, for Chelsea against Manchester City in that FA Cup semi-final? Why do you think Manchester City will score two goals? I don't really think you can dissect much out of that game personally because they weren't at full strength. They were missing a few real prominent players. I'm pretty sure Foden only came on the last, was it, 20 minutes? So for me, although we look good, we look solid, you can't really take too much out of that game personally. So for me, the only way we're going to win is if we are a lot more clinical. And for that to take place over the next few weeks, to just somewhat miraculously appear for us to be all of a sudden become this formidable goal-scoring team, which I think we most probably would have to be in order to win the game. I think if Chelsea are going to win the final, I think it's going to be with a clean sheet. I don't see Chelsea winning the game conceding a goal, if I'm being honest. Much of Chelsea's success recently has been as a result, hasn't it, of that clean sheet record. Five clean sheets in their last six, 18 in their last 24 and Kieran, Yohan just touched on there the chances that Chelsea created. Well, Chelsea, in this match, had an expected goals ratio of 3.56. So they were expected to score over three and a half goals. Obviously, they just scored the two. Do you think Chelsea can sort out these goal-scoring issues going into that Champions League final against Manchester City? For the final, no. 
as you just said, uh, the, the goal ratio, they had 14 shots and only five were on target. Real Madrid actually had the same amount of shots on target, didn't they? Despite creating chances that were nowhere near as open goal-scoring opportunities that Chelsea did. And despite Real Madrid having 68% of the possession in this match, Madrid struggled to break down Chelsea throughout. And I was quite surprised that Zidane decided to use a similar setup to the one they used in the first half of the match last week. So they played with a back three, and it was quite often, with Chelsea's two strikers, it was the wide centre-backs for Real Madrid in Nacho and Militao. They were the free men who needed to really get that ball and drive the ball towards Chelsea. Hope then that one of the Chelsea midfielders, the likes of Mount, would push out to them. Then obviously you can play the ball into the midfield. But the lack of quality displayed from these wide centre-backs led to Cruz and Modric again dropping into those wide centre-back positions. Again, this was common on the left where Cruz would drop and then Nacho then would move out wide into a left wing-back position. And quite often with Mendy staying wide as well. And as I said then, Nacho was very often the free man due to Cruz dropping deep and Nacho just could not utilise the space in front of him and just could not exploit the opportunities he had being the free man in Real Madrid's setup. We're going to move on now, guys, to the PSG against Manchester City semi-final. And Guardiola ends his 10-year wait to lead a side to the Champions League final. Manchester City won this match by two goals to nil against PSG. This was a one-sided match with PSG not having a single shot on target in the match. And PSG, they didn't actually start the match too badly. With some promising moments where the likes of Neymar and Di Maria managed to receive the ball in the pockets of space behind Manchester City's midfield. However, poor decision-making throughout, especially from the likes of Neymar, who always seemed to take one extra touch instead of playing a ball through or taking a shot. And this led to PSG not capitalising on these openings. Huge credit has to be given to the Manchester City defenders. But with the back four all having fine performances... Was their job, Yos, made easier down to the lack of composure and quality shown by the likes of Neymar and Di Maria when they managed to get in behind City's midfield? I completely agree with that analysis, to be honest. I don't want to try and diminish, obviously, the accomplishment of Man City progressing to their first final. But let's be honest, the PSG in that final third, they couldn't be more discomposed. They couldn't be more unpoised. It was not exactly a great thing to be beholden to from an attacking standpoint. And it makes you think that if the likes of Neymar were to have just fed the ball out wide on those few occasions and then seek the ball back in the box, kind of expanding that city defence, exploiting that space that they would have left behind, perhaps they could have scored or had a lot more goal scoring opportunities. So the game dynamic really could have changed very easily depending if they were to be better judgment more decisive in the final third so it's very disappointing obviously for PSG but City you got to give them full credit to be honest I mean Ruben Diaz was phenomenal but as you mentioned it really was simplified with just how awful they were at times in that final third. The amount of times that the likes of Neymar and Di Maria did manage to get in behind the City midfield and just couldn't utilise it was pretty incredible Another key difference between the two sides that I found was the contrast in the work rate between the two sides. And just to emphasise this, in terms of the number of pressures applied by both teams, 
Manchester City had a total of 82 presses in the attacking third. PSG, just 39. Neymar contributed to just five of these 39. If you compare that to the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, 22, and Foden, 17 pressures, I think that just shows the difference, doesn't it, in terms of the work rate. And this took place despite Manchester City and PSG both looking to apply pressure from the edge of the opposition's penalty box throughout the match. So it wasn't even as if that PSG decided to drop deep, play in their own half, stay in a compact block. They were looking to press City, weren't they? They needed the goals. They were the team who were a few goals down. But even though they were looking to press, it just wasn't at anywhere near the intensity of Manchester City. What did you make of the game, Kieran? Pochettino, after the match, said that Mbappe's absence was no excuse. But do you think Mbappe would have made a difference to the outcome of this match? I don't know about the outcome, but he certainly would have made a difference to the PSG side for certain. Just his pace, his athleticism and his and his creative runs would have would have helped PSG for certain. But again, can one man carry a team is is the other question. Yeah, with somebody like Mbappe available for PSG, he would have made those runs in behind City's defence, which may have led to there being even more space in that pocket between City's midfield and defence. Playing Icardi, he's not going to give you the same movement, the same runs out wide, the same runs from deep that somebody like Mbappe would give you. And I'm just going to give a quick overview now, guys, of the Ligue 1 and La Liga title race. Starting with Ligue 1, PSG beat Lons by two goals to one thanks to goals from Neymar and Marquinhos. Lille beat Nice by two goals to nil and Yilmaz was again on the score sheet. And there was huge pressure on Monaco's shoulders to keep up with both PSG and Lille heading into their Sunday night fixture against Lyon. However, despite Lyon going down to 10 men with the match at one all, Monaco were unable to utilise their extra man, losing the match 3-2, with Ryan Shirky's 89th minute strike winning the match for Lyon. Tension spilled over in this match after the full-time whistle, with four players getting sent off following a mass brawl. And that means that in the Ligue 1 title race, there's still just one point between Lille and PSG. Lille on 76 points, PSG on 75, Monaco and Lyon are a little bit behind the pace now, so you would have thought that title race is just between the top two there. To the La Liga title race, where Real Madrid beat Osasuna by two goals to nil, thanks to goals from Militao and Casemiro. Atletico Madrid beat Elche by one goal to nil, despite Elche missing a penalty in stoppage time. Valencia lost to Barcelona by three goals to two, with Messi scoring a brace there in their comeback win. And quite a big defeat, shocking defeat for Sevilla, losing by one goal to nil to Athletic Bilbao. And it's the first time that Sevilla have been beaten away by Athletic Bilbao in 10 years, with Iñaki Williams' 89th minute strike winning the games there. And that means that in the La Liga title race, Atletico Madrid are top on 76 points, Real Madrid and Barcelona both on 74 points. So just two points separating the top three. And Sevilla now, they're struggling to hold on now, aren't they? With 70.6 points behind Atletico Madrid at the top. And there's some huge fixtures in La Liga this weekend with Real Madrid against Sevilla. So it's the last chance there for Sevilla really to get back in this title race if they can beat Madrid. And of course, a huge game between Barcelona and Atletico. Top two fighting out there to be at the top 
of the table with just a few games to play. So now to our end of the show quiz. And with Jose Mourinho becoming Roma manager to replace Paolo Fonseca in the summer, name the other seven Champions League winning managers since 1993 to have won two UEFA Champions Leagues. So grab your pens, guys. Grab a piece of paper and off you go. Well, there's technically eight, including Jose Mourinho, but obviously that would be too easy if that was included. <laughs> okay, so five, four, three, two, one. Okay, pens down, guys. So we'll start with Kieran. Who have you got as your seven managers to have won the Champions League twice since 1993? So I've got Ferguson. Yeah. Zidane. Yeah. Pep. Pep Guardiola, yeah. I can't remember his name, but it's the Bayern Munich manager, so I, I, can't, I can't, just can't think of his name. Um, I went for Del Bosque. I don't know. I don't know if he's won it or not. Yeah, that's a great shout. He won it twice with Real Madrid in two thousand and two thousand and two. Great shout there. I've got no other names. The only other one was um, the Bayern Munich manager. But I just cannot cannot remember his name in my life. Okay, so Yos, do you know who that Bayern Munich manager is? Um, was it the same manager? Who obviously? Well, you you had thirty seconds. Who did you get? I know to be honest, it was a very, uh, very demoralising display by me. To be honest, I thought I was going to do a lot better. <laughs> um, so again, I pretty much just went for all the prominent managers like Kieran, Zidane, Guardiola, Ancelotti, Ferguson. That's what I've got so far, Dill. Okay, so. It's actually a draw between you two because Yoan managed to get Carlo Ancelotti and Kieran got Del Bosque. So that was a draw there. How did you get Del Bosque, Kieran? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even think of I him. I just had that funny feeling. <laughs> uh, I actually feel embarrassed. I was like, I was literally about to say to you, I'm going to, you know, don't get intimidated by me because I'm winning this in Italy. So the Bayern Munich manager, Key, that you were talking about was the Bayern Munich manager who won it in 2013 and 1998 with Real Madrid, and that is Yep Heinkes. Oh, was that who you were thinking of, Key? Um, yeah, you could have told me his name was Jack Jones or whatever. I didn't have a clue what his name. Was. <laughs> Fair enough. So obviously it was Yep Heinkes, Sir Alex Ferguson, Del Bosque. Another manager who won it with Dortmund and Bayern Munich twice was Otmar Hitzfeld. The other three were Ancelotti, Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane. And just before we get to your matches to look out for over the next week, going to quickly mention Serie A. And Inter beat Crotone by two goals to nil. And with Atlanta drawing against Sassuolo, one all, Inter have won their first title in 11 years. And that's an incredible achievement from Conte's side. Conte in his second season at Inter winning the title there, beating Juventus to the crown. And Juventus are struggling to retain 
the Champions League position, aren't they? Let alone the Serie A crown. And despite Juventus being a goal down with 10 minutes to play, Juventus managed to come back to win 2-1 against Udinese. A huge win for Pilo, thanks to a brace from Cristiano Ronaldo. And AC Milan beats Benevento by two goals to nil. A real disappointing draw for Napoli, drawing one all with Cagliari. And that means there are just two points between second and fifth position in Serie A. And Lazio beat Genoa on the weekend by four goals to three. And if they win their match in hand, they'll actually be two points between second and sixth place in Serie A. So it's really on there for the likes of Juventus and AC Milan to get Champions League football next season. So in terms of the fixtures this weekend, we've got in Serie A, Juventus against AC Milan, Spezia against Napoli and Lazio against Fiorentina in that race for the top four. Other matches to look out for over the next week in the Prem, in the Champions League race, we've got Leeds against Spurs, Liverpool against Southampton and of course, a dress rehearsal for that Champions League final with Manchester City playing against Chelsea. In the Bundesliga, Dortmund face RB Leipzig, which is a dress rehearsal in itself for the German Cup final in a few weeks' time. And it's also a huge match for Dortmund in their Champions League race. And Dortmund managed to narrow the gap to just one point following their 2-0 win over Wolfsburg last time out. And with Frankfurt losing two matches on the bounce as well, that's why the gap is just one point now between Dortmund and Frankfurt. In terms of the Bundesliga title, Bayern just need to win one more match out of their next three games. And they've got Borussia Mönchengladbach on the weekend. Finally, in the league earned title race, we've got Rennes against PSG, Rems against Monaco and Lille v Lons. So we'll start with Yos. What's your match to look out for over the next week? I selected Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid. It's just been one of the most competitive, unpredictable, erratic seasons in recent memory in La Liga. And just knowing how inconsistent both teams have been throughout this year just adds to the suspense of that fixture. And you really can't decide who's going to win. It can go either way very easily. So I've gone for that one. That's a huge match, isn't it, there in that La Liga title race? As I said earlier, just two points separating the top three in La Liga at the moment. So obviously, whoever wins that game you would have thought that would give them huge momentum going into the final few matches of the La Liga season. So, Kieran, what have you gone for as your match to look out for over the next week? Not necessarily glorious teams, but I've gone for Leeds-Tottenham. So, the last time these guys played, it was 3-0 Tottenham. They both currently stand 6-11, so it's a must-win for Tottenham, really. It's a huge match there for Tottenham if they want to get Champions League football next season. And just to go over the positions and the points in the Premier League. So you've got Chelsea in fourth on 61 points, West Ham in fifth on 58 points, and as Kieran said there, Tottenham are sixth with 56 points. So they're five points behind Chelsea in fourth. So obviously if they want to have any chance of getting that final Champions League position, they're going to have to beat Leeds. And Liverpool then are in seventh on 54 points. However, they've got a match in hand on the others. And just very quickly before we finish, there's also some Europa League second leg games tonight. Manchester United play in Roma. However, they are very likely to be through following the first leg, beating Roma by six goals to two. And a huge match with Arsenal playing Villarreal. 
and I've just got a feeling yous will be discussing the future of a certain manager on next week's pod. But that's all we've got time for this week on the Football Overview. Thanks to yous, thanks to Kieran, and we'll see you next week for another episode. See you then. <laughs>